Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. I'm Leland. And I'm Mike. Yes. Listener, we have the last of the first batch of Craigslist guests. The best $5 of non-existent Patreon money we ever spent. <laughs> you know, that's fucking ridiculous that you had to pay to put up a Craigslist ad now. I know. And it was for like... I think I put it for like gigs, like short term. Was gigs. it because it was gigs specifically? Maybe. Oh, okay. But it sure worked. I guess that kind of makes sense. So wait, yeah. hold up, hold up. <laughs> you have to pay for Craigslist ads now? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's Mike. It's like a progressive tsunami. Like how a tsunami isn't actually a tidal wave. It's just a very quick raising of the tide or the waters. And so at first they charged um, just for job you know, employers to post job postings. And now that's spread to basically posting almost anything. It's oh, at God. least a little bit of money. So. Well, why, why don't we actually introduce our guests? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we are, well, we're joined today by Mike Herman. Uh, Mike, I'll let you explain uh, about yourself there. I know you're in Surrey. So if listener hears gunshots in the background, we may not be able to edit them out. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I was fortunate enough to make it out of the Joker screening unscathed, so um, I, I think I'm gonna, you know, bet that I make it through this podcast all right as well. So, so tell us a little uh, bit about yourself. Yeah, no, um, I am a a graphic designer and a photographer, and um, you can actually uh, find some of my work on www.apexcreativeco.com. And um, yeah, I'm currently a student at SFU, and I. Uh, I don't know, man. I was just looking for shit to do, and I saw, I saw your guys' Craigslist ad, and I was like, I was like, dope. I love talking about movies and all that jazz. And I was actually like a film school uh, major way back, so I, I, dude, I can talk about movies for hours. So uh, yeah, I hope your I hope your one listener enjoys that. <laughs> he or she, if she still listens, yeah, we never, don't know. They never do. Might um, they uh, don't? Well, one of the things I liked don't. when, um, because you know, we're we're, we're hot shit here. You know, when I did my phone interview with Mike to see if he was yep. worthy of being a co-host. Very comprehensive on, screening. Very comprehensive. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got Ted Bundy next week. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things I like what you said, Mike, is you said you love talking almost more about, like, what surrounds movies and video games than actually playing them sometimes. And that is so like us. That is very, very much like the T-Hud podcast, yes, it is. (laughs) 100%. Like, um, yeah, no, I I love, uh, even, like, it's weird how much I know about movies that I haven't even seen most of the time. Oh, my God, I know, right? Oh, I'm, like, the same way with, like, TV shows, too. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, um, shit, I'm trying to think of, like, like an example. Like, I, I heard all about, like... I don't know, like, all the Justice League reshoots, and I guess that's, like, a movie I had seen, but I have, like probably spent more hours analyzing that movie and all the like the shit show that was behind the scene than like how many times i've actually spent watching the movie yeah 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 all, all of the controversy is is much more memorable than the movie itself oh yeah. yeah i have a question mike are you addicted to imdb's trivia section when you look yes. up the movie? me too man <laughs> Dude, I have an open while watching movies most of the time. And it's brutal because sometimes I dip into that spoiler section uh, yes! while I'm doing it. And it totally, yeah, it, it f- fucks it up for me. It's a so times hard already. not to. It's like, you know, spoiler, and you're like, hey, I got to look away. And it's like, but when this person dies, you're like, oh, I have to look. I don't know. I hate it. 
Oh yeah, I always um, my my favorite is the uh, the John Wick kill count. That's usually in all those IMDb uh, <laughs> trivia sections. I don't even know if I can count that high. Give me an abacus. That's a good trivia though. Oh yeah, John John Wick. And actually, I was in a trivia section for John Wick when I found out they're now making a spinoff with a woman. I I don't know oh, any yeah? more than that. It's a spinoff film. Hmm. I, I actually know something about that. Can I go into that for yeah, a second? Yeah, go. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It was like an intern at, I believe, it was like Keanu. No, I think it was actually like Robert Downey Jr.'s production studio of all places. And then he wrote the script, this uh, script called Ballerina. Oh, and then they, they read it. And then they were like, this could be a John Wick spinoff. And then it's it's like the long list of movies that have been written for something else and retroactively turned into a a movie franchise. Yeah. Uh, Die Hard's notorious for that as well. Yeah. Well, that happens in, a, in every industry too, right? It happens a lot in the video game industry as well. A game gets developed halfway through development. It's like, well, either it stops development and then it's picked up a few years later and completely retrofitted or they're just like, hey, this doesn't fit what we're developing it for. Let's develop for, for something else. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, I'm trying to think of an example of a video game that's happened, but you definitely see like um i i have seen yeah things where like elements have like crossed over and it's usually because like one studio is like reusing assets from another game like i remember uh what was it i was like re uh i went to visit radical studios when they used to be around in vancouver and uh they're making that prototype game um do you guys oh, remember yeah. prototype yeah yeah i don't know it was it kind got of a shit, sequel to too yeah, yeah, no, they had two of them, uh, and um, I didn't realize that they had basically taken their Incredible Hulk game and just like reskinned it and just put a bunch of shit in it. Yes, that. totally. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. Well, I mean, a classic example though of the the development is De- that's where Devil May Cry comes from, right? That's where the oh franchise. yeah, that I know about. That absolutely. was the former RE four. Exactly. And they thought yeah. it went too crazy, right. Away from RE, absolutely. Oh, like Resident Evil? Really? Devil May Cry was a Resident Evil game? Yeah, it was actually Resident Evil four, and I'm disappointed because. Um, a few trailers had come out of Resident Evil 4 before the iteration we knew today. And basically the idea was that Leon was infected. He was always going to be the main character. He was infected and he started hallucinating everywhere. He'd see like paintings melt and ghost images and stuff like that. He was followed by some guy with a giant hook and chain. I don't know. I guess it's kind of scary. It's <laughs> kind of original. Yeah. Um, but they felt it was going too far away from Resident Evil, which is ironic, in my opinion, from where Resident Evil 4 actually ended up. And what it what it was like the predecessor of the way that franchise went. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's really funny. So, yeah, that, man, that that uh, series has been and that's that was uh, had its ups and downs. I remember five and six were, were too uh, too well liked, but I heard the new ones quite good. I, I don't know. I got scared shitless when I saw Chris Redfield punch a boulder. I was like, that is scary. <laughs> I don't want to be near the no, uh, kid. Um, well, we're bantering pretty good, so yeah. we might as well bant jump right into the formal banter segment. Let's do it. And uh you know what? Uh Mike, do you got anything you want to banter about? Oh shit. This is like this is on the spot. Alright. Um well can we uh can we start uh like with movies? Sure. Hell yeah. Well, we were just like talking um, before we got into the podcast. I kind of want to get, get back into this uh, Joker discussion yeah. a little bit. Can we, can we get into that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, so I um, I don't know. I think I liked it a little bit more than you guys. And I'm going to shamefully say, uh, Lila was saying before we actually started recording that he just like <laughs> cringed at all the uh, 
the Batman references, and I totally agree that some of them were shoehorned, uh, shoehorned in. But I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I just remember like visibly getting giddy when they mentioned Bruce Wayne's name. And so I'm going to shamelessly say that, <laughs> okay. yeah, no, I I, uh, I enjoyed some of those all references. All right, all right. Well, to each of their own, despite how wrong they their own is. <laughs> but, but you know, so so my the I did I also enjoy I like I like I like seeing uh you know I don't think it's been officially coined as an Elseworld film, but it is certainly an Elseworld inspired film as you know this this offshoot of a of a universe where. Things are upside down, and you know, uh, I guess spoilers for Joker. <laughs> yeah, I was well, say, let's spoil the shit out. Of I it. think yeah, so because it's tough know. to to uh, bitch about it and not really spoil it. So full spoilers for Joker, but like, I like seeing that stuff too. And but so my biggest problem, I, I was, it kind of just boils down to I didn't feel like the movie knew exactly what it wanted to be as far as this this uh, this. Um, look at a mentally ill man and uh, the, put in this setting of this garbage, you know, uh, facsimile of New York that is Gotham City in the 80s or whatever time, late 70s, I don't know, whatever. 1981. Time 81. And like, and just, you know, how, how the societal pressures can just break a man like that down versus being a Joker movie. Because... While there are there's a lot of overlap in those two ideas, they are still two separate ideas in my opinion. And my biggest problem with Phoenix's performance was that he didn't feel like the Joker to me until, of course, maybe the very, very, very end. Because every person he killed was it was not a random person, and he wasn't inflicting random chaotic violence on people like these people meant something to him and did something to him uh you know to, to to varying degrees obviously when you think of the first three yuppies that he guns down in the subway um i don't know it just it's he's just like he's he is a distinctly different version of the joker and that's probably why i just don't like it i don't know <laughs> oh yeah sorry you go no, yeah you go. well i was gonna jump in and say mike i didn't really comment uh, off air too much i'm actually a huge fan of the movie Leland and Leland actually saw it with a ghost, uh, Ghost Marty. Yeah. God bless his soul, our former co-host. Right. And uh, the ghost whispered in his ear that Moby would love this movie to death. And I do. I like Joaquin Phoenix a lot. I felt that his performance was sublime. I do think I like Ledger's Joker more, but I don't like it more for technical reasons. Like, oh, he's more chaotic in the way that he should be per the comic book or something like that. I just liked his performance a little bit more, but I think the Joaquin's performance was still for the ages. I think he should get an Oscar nomination. Um, And to me, he did feel like the Joker. I was very open to this type of origin story. And I felt what helped that a lot was his laugh. I felt that his laugh was very Joker-ish. Would anyone agree? Disagree? So, okay. Um, before mm. we touch on that, you those what you just said there is completely contradictory. When you're saying that you enjoyed his performance because it was not because it was close or far from the source material, yet you were still thinking it feels like the Joker to you when you're not basing it on the source material, which is the Joker. I am basing it on, and you're probably going to say, "Well, that, that's stupid." 
I'm basing it on the Joker films, the other films like, okay, that I've seen. So like you're, okay, okay. Joker. Well, that, I don't think that's stupid. I think that's totally I, that makes sense. You're basing okay. it on other variations of yes, uh, which is your source material. That is my source. Okay, material. Okay, that totally makes sense to me. Okay. That absolutely makes sense to me. I just sorry, I was no. That's okay. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't actually come to blows. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I mean, to to just kind of summarize what I thought of it. I absolutely didn't mind the tie-ins with the Wayne family. I actually thought Thomas Wayne was pretty badass, especially in the bathroom scene when he punches him and says, you, you go fucking near me again, I'll, or no, you go near me again, I'll fucking kill you, or something like that. That was awesome. And I really have very few complaints about the film. I don't know what else to say. I just thought it was a fantastic drama, and that it was high art. That's how I... I uh, have talked to or spoken about it with other friends. It's it's high art. It reminds me of kind of like that feeling with of drive with Ryan Gosling, like an art house dramatic piece. Yeah, that's so, a it did give off some drive vibes for sure. Especially the, just just the the suddenness of the violence as well. That's a very good point. Yeah, yes. which made it that was something that Ghost Marty had brought up right after we had watched it, and I completely agree with him. But uh, and I think the violence was very impactful. In the film. And there was not much of there it. There was not much There's violence. not much violence That's something all. that's pissing me off about the media. Is the they're talking about how oh, terribly yeah. violent the film is. I counted five kills in the whole movie. He, there and there's nothing deaths. even really... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, there's nothing even really that, like, egregious within the film. No. Like, all the, uh, all the kills are pretty... I mean, I think, like, if you were to compare it to an action movie, I think the difference is, is the movie's such a slow burn. That by the time the kills happen, there's something really impactful about it. Like when De Niro got shot, like I really was, even though I kind of saw it coming, I was still pretty shocked by it. But at the same time, like, you know, he's not like, I don't know, killing kids and shit like that. Like it's pretty, it, I don't know, it's it's pretty visceral. But I wouldn't say it was anything like shocking or gory or uh, but gratuitous in any sort of way. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I, I agree. I completely agree. I think visceral is a great word. Because, because yeah, the violence is visceral, and, and when you do, when you compare that to, like yeah, like you said, like an action film, the violence in those types of movies are very surface level. Whereas you know we see some unnamed gunman gunning down a room full of innocent people, that's much less impactful when we see Arthur Fleck, uh, you know, in front of the camera giving this ray, way too long diatribe. That's another caveat of mine. But then we see it culminate in this act of violence and the emotion that brought upon that violence is 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 way more visceral and impactful. And maybe that's why it stands out to people. I mean, it's just because I think it's just making people feel something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I uh, I really wanted I really enjoyed the film and I want to address um, some of your guys' points Um, going into the film or even when it was announced. I was sort of um, a little bit skeptical uh, skeptical because I agree with most people is that the Joker kind of works best uh, when you don't know as much about him. And, and, and it's and having an origin story is almost counterintuitive to that. Um, however, one of the things that I liked is that the movie does a good job at preserving some of the mystery around mm-hmm. the character. And like, you know, there's that famous killing joke thing um, where it's like I consider my past like multiple choice. And usually most of the time he doesn't even have a name. And the movie kind of does that in some ways, in which it was the most interesting part to me. It was like, for one, we find out that he's adopted. So Arthur Fleck is not even really his name. 
So his name could be anything. That and um, and the whole a lot of the events are from like he's sort of this unreliable narrator throughout. And we realized that maybe a lot of this stuff didn't happen the way we maybe saw it did. And like I don't know if this is a mistake, but like an example is he's using a six shot revolver and he shoots like eight shots when he yeah. kills those guys on the subway. Right. Makes you kind of wonder maybe that part didn't go down the way you thought and the whole stuff with the girlfriend really kind of throws a wrench into everything. And then that was, so that was my, um, so that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about it as a fan of the character was that I, I left being like, okay, they, they were able to sort of, you know, yeah, preserve some of that mystery, kind of give you that sense that like, maybe we don't know this character as well as we thought. Yeah. But and, by the end, sorry, yeah. by the end of it, there was no mystery. They, they resolved all of it. Every all those little questions, except for the larger imposing umbrella of a question over the entire movie is, did any of that actually happen? Everything else was like the adoption, insignificant. Doesn't matter because he was beat as a kid, and that's why he's got mental issues now. The 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 and the the, the whole part with the girlfriend, which I thought was a really good part of that film, and then when you finally realize, like, oh man, he's real over the edge, it undercuts everything. Every, every other similar aspects of the film when you're wondering well did this did this actually happen that way because we are distinctly shown a section of that film that we know 100% did not happen the way we were shown it I think that undercuts the rest of the movie I but I will counter with the whole adoption papers thing because my understanding of that is that I actually don't think the movie 100% says that he is not Bruce or sorry Thomas Wayne's kid and then the reason why I say that is because one, um, Thomas Wade's got a lot to lose by um, by by having a fair, just for, in, in the sense of his public life, right? And there is a they even deliberately show a picture of his mom that is signed by Thomas Wayne. Did you guys catch that? I did catch that. Yeah. And and I think that is like the one thing where it does make you question that, like you know, there's a, to me there's also like like Thomas Wayne's a powerful person. And so I know like forging adopt adoption papers is sort of like, you know, it's pretty, pretty radical, but I don't know it, it, the way I, I perceive that is like, you know, maybe he, maybe he could be Thomas Wayne's kid after all. And I, and I, I, I guess I just enjoyed that part that the movie in a lot of ways, um, it does give you some ambiguity in some areas, but one thing I, I will say is that I've heard a lot of complaints, like, you know, saying that. You know, Joker is supposed to be so methodical. He's supposed to be one step ahead of the game, kind of thing. And that the the portrayal that we get, we it's hard to see him as as a supervillain. And I guess my counter to that is that there's been so many interpretations of the Joker, like the Silver Age Joker, for example, like was when they they were trying to kind of remove violence from um, a lot of these DC comics. And he was just a bank robber. He was just kind of this goofy guy. And if you were even to compare him to like the Adam West Joker, you know. I, I guess I guess um, there seems to be a lot of the Joker from the Dark Knight. I'm not saying this is what you guys are doing, but the jo- Joker from the Dark Knight is who the Joker is supposed to be. And I love the Heath Ledger portrayal. In fact, I was pretty protective of that performance going into this movie. I almost didn't want to like the movie because I love Heath Ledger so much in that performance that I didn't want it to like somehow be tainted by that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that, like I said, there's a lot of room with the Joker. And I, I think this feels distinctly Joker as much as any of the other performances do. By the end of the movie, I can see, I could see, like, if, if we were, if we saw another Joker movie, I could see and buy him as the, like, the Joker, right? 
like the just the, the way the film culminated and and the, the nice ending with the bloody smile which was a great scene oh yeah and um him just kind of laughing at the thought of orphan bruce wayne was great as well so i can i can see and i can i and uh, yes this is a this is a joker origin despite it having a batman origin story in it it's still a joker origin and he's of course he's not going to be the joker at the beginning of the movie but he should end as the joker which i think the film actually did a did a job of of showing that but i felt like the progression was was stymied and a little stilted and i i i think it was a mistake having the the three men get gunned down in the subway as early as they did i i don't i can't really articulate why i feel that way but i just think that it 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 did something to me like pacing wise and like character arc wise like there there isn't he doesn't go through an arc really i mean it's it's it you can really boil it down to you know he has this encounter with violence where he's on not on the receiving end and obviously it feels good to him and then i guess he spirals from there i don't know what do you guys think of that I see your point. I because I, I know what you mean because because when he gets killed, like it, you could almost argue that it would have been more. Again, we're talking about the impacts of the deaths in this movie, and maybe it would have been more impactful if you know that first kill happened a lot later in the movie. And I uh, and um yeah, and, and you do raise a good point. Is uh, like if you were to define his arc, it's like he's crazier at the beginning, and he just gets what's his arc? He gets crazier by the end. <laughs> yeah, I guess right. Um, he stops taking his meds and then goes full over the edge. As opposed yeah. to teetering at I, the end of it, I don't know. I think it just again it comes down to like you know, it, it is for me it's it's making making an origin of the Joker is is almost a is almost a fool's errand. But in the end, I left being like, if you're gonna make a Joker um, origin, you know, in my eyes, it was it was it was um, yeah. I think they they did a did an adequate job. But I I mean, I also totally understand your criticism, and that's the thing is like this film is so polarizing. It's like either you were with it or you, you weren't. And it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a lot of in between from what I've uh, seen online and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, did, did the film really need the, the ambiguity, ambiguity of Joker possibly being Bruce's brother? Like, did the movie really need that? I enjoyed that twist. I know, like, it's a bit on the nose, because, like, there is that whole, you know, two sides of the same coin, Batman and, you know, Joker thing, and this could have, sort of hammers it home, and and another thing, uh, like, uh, speaking of being on the nose, I, I do kind of agree with you on the, the speech that he gives at the end before he blows <laughs> yeah. De Niro's head off, yeah. although I will say, like, the more the more I thought about it, because I'm, I agree, it's, like, on the nose as it could be, it literally lays out the the theme of the film yes. um, right there in front of you. Although, I mean, I guess, I guess my, my whole thing is, you know, it's sort of like this whole, let's, this pent up energy that he has. And it's just sort of a rant. And, you know, maybe, maybe if you were to, you know, air your grievances or whatever on, on live TV, would you really, you know, mince words about that? I don't know if you would. So I guess that's the, 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 but I could also see why people couldn't get on board with that. Well, one of the things, that I learned, and I'm trying to remember where I learned it. It was pretty. It might have even been in high school when I was doing some plays, but because I I would often play the villain in high school plays, and I was taught that no villain believes that they're bad. Like, oh yeah, their intentions are that they think that they're doing good, and so you look at the case of 
on the train where he kills the three guys, in his mind, well, it was basically self-defense one. But you could even make the argument that he was killing these three men that were going to harass and possibly rape a woman. And by the time he gives his manifesto speech to De Niro, his speech is about how terrible the world is and how terrible they're treating people. Like, to a point that it's so utterly inhumane that he has to turn to violence. Now, we would say, well, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, that doesn't mean you go on a talk show and blow the host's head off. But to to him, his motivations are good and pure. And I like that. So that's my point. I like okay. that. So you like having a garbage scene at the climax of the film just because it suits <laughs> his character 100%. I didn't even think it was a garbage scene. I think it was so fucking drawn out and needlessly long that I was bored. I'm it, like, it was I'm a little tuning too long. out. This is dumb. And, the, and literally this entire movie and the 10 minutes before he even got up there and gave that bullshit speech, he it's hammering home that Arthur Fleck doesn't care about any of the politics of the rest of the city going on. And he literally says that to De Niro's character like two times right before he does that speech too. And then he launches into this tirade again, like Mike said, laying out the theme and, and like the morals of the film. It, it, I don't know. It just, it was so, it, it felt so forced and it, it fell flat for me so hard. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Okay. I, th- I mean, that's yeah, I think the I think the difficult uh, part of that scene is is uh, buy into the fact that, I mean, this guy's clearly, you know, off his rocker. And, and even, uh, I mean, Mark Maron's character kind of says to him, he's like, should we really be putting this guy on? But like, I mean, I don't know. I, that's the one thing that you kind of, uh, a little bit of suspension of disbelief for, for me was, you know, I mean, you got to get that. They, it's like they wanted that character on a uh, on that talk show and to have that scene without properly, I guess, justifying it. Because yeah, like it, especially with all the riots that were happening with the clowns, like it was just like a bad idea all around. It, it, and you can't help but be like, well, what the fuck were they expecting when they brought this total like nut job onto a television <laughs> yeah. show? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I I understand the merits of the scene, obviously. Um, like. And we, we, we did get a bit of preamble to it, I will admit. Um, all, like most of the counselor scene stuff, right? That, that, that very last scene with the counselor definitely kind of set up the possibility for this scene. I'll fully admit that. And we also needed a reason for Fleck to get worked up to the point of more violence as well. And that scene also served that purpose, just the confrontation with De Niro's character. So... When I say I felt like it was forced, it was just like the movie was beating me over the head with what it was trying to tell me. It wasn't, nece- it wasn't necessary that the performance uh, of Phoenix or, or everyone else in that scene in general. It was just like, I just okay, I understand what the movie is trying to tell me. I get it. I don't need a, char- a, a character in the movie to literally tell me what the movie is about. Right. And also, most of the movie up to that point, we got verbally told very little. That's actually another complaint of mine in this movie. There's a lot of we get shown a lot of text in this movie that you just can't read. <laughs> like, why is why? Like when he was leafing through his mom's medical records, I'm like, okay, we're I'm like picking out every like second word it's trying to focus in on. And uh I there was I don't know, apparently there was something mentioned in, in that that we saw on screen of his mom getting like lobotomized as part of her treatment. I didn't or something. notice that, yeah. Apparently, oh, I missed that. Yeah, I to- <laughs> totally missed that too. I, I just I don't know. It's it's funny. I just think 
there's a lot there's some weird decisions i think in the movie that like stand out against the good decisions of the movie i think and i think that is just a result of the good decisions being as good as they were yeah i i think regardless though if if whether i mean we differing opinions on the movie overall but i think we can all agree that for the you know the genre itself i i think this movie is 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 yeah is a good example of like what you can um what you can do with comic book movies and i um i like personally i know they said this is a one off but i actually do want a sequel with batman because i'm in the camp that believes that i love the nolan movies but those are like these grandiose blockbuster movies and i've never thought that batman needs to be made for i mean i don't know like i guess by relative like movie budget standards 80 million dollars like I just don't think you need to spend that much on a on a Batman movie, and I would love to see some, like an R-rated Batman, you know, that treats Gotham the way that this movie treated it. <laughs> yeah, that would actually be pretty rad. I mean, yeah, maybe that's, I mean, that's why. Thing, um, is like, maybe that's why yeah. what Patterson's going to be. Is oh, Patterson the I next Bats? He could be a young, he is the next Bats, like a twenty-five-year-old Batman, like Batman Year One, and like right into it, fighting a sixty-year-old Joker. I'm not excited about that movie, and I love <laughs> Batman, but like. I just hey think, man, I, if I just you, don't. If you can I, buy I, this, maybe they'll do the same thing with Joker that they, same thing they'll do with Batman that they did with Joker. We'll just get another yeah. var- a variation. We'll see. Maybe uh, we'll maybe see a Joker origin, and uh, maybe we'll get another Two Face origin. Let's just show. Uh, hey, let's get everything we've seen before because that's all Warner Brothers fucking does. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I um, I still um, I want to see uh, Batman as an HBO series. Honestly, I think that's where the honestly the material would have worked best. Because like bat, freaking <laughs> bat, yeah, that's funny. In whose hands though? Because that has a lot of potential, but potential is very easy to squander. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I, I couldn't tell you that, but I guess what my point is is like, first of all, like with the way television is, you can spend enough money, I think, to to do it well. I'm not talking about on the fucking like CW. Like I'm not talking that. I'm talking about like. Like Netflix's Daredevil. I think that was like a that that to me it was almost like a devil reel for what a Batman TV show could be. I think so. Too. And there would be and I would love nothing more if we got the Batmobile in the final episode of the final season, like built up to that. And the thing is, is that Batman's such a like he it's they're called detective comic books for a reason. Like they're just like most of the time, like you know, you watch the Nolan movies and there's these kind of grandiose plots like Dark Knight Rises about blowing up Gotham City. But if you were to adapt something like, I don't know, like, I don't know if you guys know Batman comic books that well, but like the long Halloween is about him tracking a, a murder yeah. that, this, that this guy, the villain, the calendar man. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing is like, you could like, you could string that plot out over multiple episodes and like, you don't, I mean, it's never been, it's not like, I'm not suggesting Superman as an HBO series. I think Batman uh would work really well as that and I, I would much rather see that than this robert pattinson batman i just don't like i said i'm a huge batman fan but there's nothing about that movie that gets me excited because i just feel like we've seen it at this point at least like as shitty as the batman vs superman uh movies were at least we got a batman that was like well into his like 50s and then we, we could kind of bypass all the bullshit and just said okay like he's like a he's a batman that's kind of fucking sick of doing it which i think is more interesting I agree. I thought that was, I, yeah, for you know what those movies are. I think that's a that's a very cool version of bats to see uh, on screen. It was, and it was like the refreshing part of those films. 
And of course, in, in the in the grander scope of Warner Brothers productions, Batman is, of course, those movies need to be grandiose enough to fit in with the Justice League. So that's already they're kick they're shooting themselves in the foot, like right. And I agree with you. I think a, a, a lower budget, you know, Burton esque as far as um, as far as scope. Maybe you know, obviously not <laughs> setting and tone. Whether or not you're a fan of those films, I think could serve uh, could serve very well. Oh, but that just made made me think. Uh, I would love to see a sequel to uh, Batman Returns. Do like the Blade Runner thing. Just get pre- Burton as a, like a producer. Don't let him fucking direct it because he sucks now. But like, get someone <laughs> get someone like he's sucking a, a long time. Fucking get Denis Villeneuve again. Just yeah. yeah, just make a sequel. Get yeah, get Keaton yeah, back. Get That's Keaton what I like to see. Fuck yeah, Keaton would do it. Oh. <clears throat> I'd love Keaton in anything. I'd yep. take Keaton in anything. Yeah, yeah, but well, I think I think uh, we, we might have our disagreements on this, Joker. But can we all agree that Jared Leto sucks, right? Yes, my God, oh, dude. he's not <laughs> great. <laughs> I uh, the the funniest um, uh, fucking comparison I ever heard it was on the Honest trailer. They said he's a, a combination of James Franco from Spring Breakers and uh, Ace Ventura. <laughs> oh that's pretty on point i can that's see really that good. i mean okay so i don't want to get too much into this but i i do like leto as an actor in many things no i i don't like his joker that much um it's way down there as far as jokers go so but leto himself see leland hates leto in anything yeah he's an idiot but you know <laughs> like in dallas buyers club where he won his oscar i i liked him in that i liked him in blade runner for yeah, I mean, I, he's a capable actor for sure, but like, I just think like he, I don't know, fucking he, this, this, this is, uh, his performance has had no subtlety, like it has yeah. as much subtlety as fucking right. taking a brick to the face. Right, but Arthur Fleck's got no subtlety either. There's nothing yeah, subtle there's about Arthur Fleck. I mean, but, yeah, but I mean, I mean, okay, there's layers, but there's no subtlety. What's he supposed to do when all he has is <laughs> negative, negative thoughts? thoughts. <laughs> 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 fucking take a cold shower and cry like everyone else does jesus i did like the explanation for the laugh i thought that was kind of cool like that is like an actual like fucking that he got hit in the head as a kid and as part of his fucking thing or or maybe it's not i don't (laughs) (laughs) so much ambiguity well okay actually one thing i don't fully understand is exactly why he killed his mom I'm, I'm like, I'm a, it's kind of a little foggy to me. I think he, he realizes the abuse that she allowed to have happened to him. And he realizes that's that that's making him into the person he is. Was it that or was it that all these things she, she told him growing up stimmied the person that he's realizing that he is and playing into and, and you know, the, the, these negative thoughts and then enjoying the violence. And did he get is her, that, did he get her out of the way to prevent her from stop from to stop him becoming the joker i because that's I the read that. i got more because again he has this little talk with her this chat with her and then they say he says to the whole movie growing up my mom told me i was gonna make people laugh and that is literally <laughs> how he delivers that line every single time and it's the worst fucking part of this film every time he says that bullshit it's so terribly delivered but it makes sense because it's like he's 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 being who he thinks he's supposed to be, right? And who people are telling him how his mom has told him that he is to be and how he's supposed to act. So I think it makes sense that those weird delivery lines come off as so fake. But <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't know. Well, so yeah, I, don't... I guess that plays into the whole like he always said like you know put like she calls him happy and put a yeah. smile on, and they yeah. have that scene at the beginning where he's like forcing a smile, and yeah, he's got like tears down his eyes. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that's the way the words he's telling himself. But the so the we got to move on from this movie because I'll keep going. But the problem for me with the movie <laughs> is that these these little parts like I couldn't tell if Todd Phillips was doing them on purpose or if they were failings of the movie and or performances. So that was my trouble with it because I think some of the ambiguity that he injects into it was too was too much was it was too ambiguous for me. I think. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, this is like, I'm not like a teeter-totter with this this movie, right? I'm on you got to see it again. Thing. I think you got to see it I again. I think I do need to watch it again. But currently, coming out of it, if we're going to give a loose rating, I was thinking of giving it an 8, but then I thought about all the shoehorn, in my opinion, Batman-y stuff, and it dropped it down to a 7 for me. A 7? That's I, what I'm I would have given it a 9. I know you would have. <laughs> I'd give it a 9 as well. <laughs> wow. Thank okay. you, Mike. All right. Beautiful. Well. Beautiful. Um, well, we, we do have to move on we may we're probably going to set a record for longest banter oh yeah that's definitely longest but, banter but that was basically uh, a mini movie music oh that yeah was. i could keep going for that sure. was awesome <laughs> i do have a little superhero thing i mean i have one little thing latino review which is one of my favorite websites for movie news they're reporting that disney is working on an offer to buy back spider-man is anybody just heard full that? on buy? Oh, okay. Full on buy that. <laughs> okay. And they're willing to offer up to five billion dollars to buy their own rights. Five back. billion? <laughs> they bought Star Wars for a billion, and they're going to spend five on Spider Man. Wasn't Star Wars more like four billion? Was it? I thought it was only a billion, but I could be totally off on that. But even what? still, like, even if it's four billion, like that's still like they're they are comparable yeah and, and I, they're just buying their own characters rights back i don't know how long sony has the rights for it must be f- several more years um i think but, the way it works is they keep the rights as long as they pump out um a movie within there's like it, it, how i think how the deals work for all the characters is that they have like a window of like five years or something like that and if yeah. they go five years without making a movie they, the rights revert back to marvel but as long as they keep making the movies they can keep them isn't that how i don't know for sure i'm sure yeah a lot of a lot of uh, licenses work like that yeah for sure um sony would be incredibly stupid to sell those rights that would be the dumbest thing they could ever well, they don't have do. a franchise and they keep it doesn't matter they know marvel wants spidey they have this leverage over this fucking huge conglomerate they have the power sony has the power okay. do not give it up Okay, well, what I would do is maybe rent it back for a lot of money. Right? Nah, fuck that. They, they, Spidey's back in the MCU or whatever now, right? They got, they found, they came to an agreement. Sony, and they, whatever the, I don't even know what the agreement was. I haven't looked into it. But they're right back to status quo as far as as far as Sony's concerned. They'd be morons to do anything other than that. I loved uh, reading about that because I remember hearing that the reason why uh, Sony wasn't so willing to. Uh to bend to disney was that they're like it was like they're riding high after venom and venom made a lot of money but like fuck that man like that that movie sucks ass and well, like yeah because and I the th- problem is they judge whether a movie is good on their fucking box office numbers and that's yes, all the I studios agree. Give however goodwill like the will not carry over into the second movie there's so many movies that like the first one makes a killing but not a very good movie and by the time the second one comes out even if they improve on it, most of the time it doesn't help. 
like um, the Ninja Turtles, for example, that Michael Bay Ninja Turtles yeah. movie. Terrible first movie, made a lot of money. Second comes out, it's better. No one sees it. It Alice was in a little better, yeah. You're right. Yeah, Alice, the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland, same thing. Bad first movie, first one makes a lot of money. Pump out a sequel, no one sees the second one. So I think there is there is a like a part where you need to have that that goodwill coming into the into the sequel, and like even Suicide Squad that's coming out with James Gunn. Like I I I don't know for sure if pe- if that's going to do well because I think people. Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I mean, it, I guess it depends what the word of mouth of Suicide Squad, the first one really was. But I don't think anyone's looking for a sequel to that. Well, one. see, I think the general audience, the moronic moviegoers really loved Suicide Squad. <laughs> like the people oh, that the people Bobby, that don't, don't give a shit. You liked it, man. I enjoyed it. I didn't buy it. And I buy most of the superhero movies I, I like. I Did will you only watch not, it once. I only watched it once, but it was worth okay. my 16 okay. bucks. Okay, then that then I will I'll, I'll give you a break because even like when I walked out of that first movie, I was like it wasn't like so bad, but like like that movie does it it does not do itself any favors. It does a lot of stuff. bad things. Yes, it does a lot of bad things, and a and a lot. There was a lot of hype. There was some really they did a really great job on those Suicide Squad trailers going into that movie, and those trailers got me pretty fucking jacked up for a movie that I didn't give a fuck about beforehand. <laughs> Oh yeah, the Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the best trailers I've yes. ever seen. So the the, Which, the movie is a soundtrack with some characters slapped onto it, and mm-hmm. maybe I mean I'm sure Gunn will turn the sequel into something worth watching, but I don't think I'm going to go see this in the theaters. I'm not giving any theater money to this. I'll wait for it to come out on video on demand. Yeah, well, I was just about to say that trailer was so good that they literally got the uh, the the guy who cut the trailer to uh, cut the movie as well. Well, there isn't... was your problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, as long as they don't do that to Gunn, as long as they don't fucking kick Gunn out of the editing room, then I think, uh, I mean, I'm sure he'll do a good job. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, but yeah, no, with uh, with with Spider Man, I, I I agree with you. They have a lot of le- leverage with uh, with that character, and like, I mean, I, I I like the Marvel movies, but do we really want Disney owning everything? No, like, no, no, they not. can't. They can't. Because they will, they'll all just be the same shit. We'll get, we won't get any more Jokers. Like we'll just get all the same shit that fits into one fucking universe that <laughs> that nobody gives I, a shit yeah. about anymore. Who gives a fuck about the MCU anymore? I don't. Who cares? Endgame's done. Who gives a fuck what happens in it now? <laughs> just give me some. Yeah. Give me some cool I, movies that I, I don't. I don't. I I personally don't need a, a huge expanded universe and some crazy overarching decade worth of a plot anymore. I'm I'm done. Just give me some, just show me some cool superheroes that I love and, you know, tell me some of their awesome stories from the great source material, the myriad of decades of amazing source material that there is for each and every one of them. I'm curious to see what they do with Deadpool. That's my, that's my, um, I, I'm of the notion that I think Deadpool should stay its own universe, but Deadpool is allowed to use any of the Marvel characters. Like versions of them, that would so if make Captain sense. America were to appear, he'd be this goofy ass version with like the weird, you know, little wings on the top of his helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be played by someone else. Like that's that's what I would rather see than them that's... trying to somehow fucking shoehorn in, shoehorn in a minute. Well, and, and that's the only thing that will keep those movies uh, from be from from becoming stale because Deadpool two was not as good as Deadpool one, in my opinion. I still like them both. Like, I mean, of course, it's Ryan Reynolds playing Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool. It's really <laughs> fun. Like, they're great movies. But, like, they're just going to go... They're just going to continue to decrease in, in quality. That's what happens uh, yeah. with franchises. That's what happens with long-running franchises. 
I, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I know I'm in the minority in this one. I actually like the second one a little bit more. I, I don't know. I feel like the, the first Deadpool is great, but I think it's one of those things where everybody's like, oh, it's so fresh when, you know, really it wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't like we had kick-ass. We've had our raid superhero movies. It's kind of unique, but I just felt like the, uh, the second one really kind of like they were given a lot more money and it just, you know, really rose to its actual potential that it had. I think, I think, um, as much as everyone says like, oh, Deadpool was made by a, a low budget. Yeah. But then they also had like VFX artists like not being paid. And so like it, it, it probably should have been given a lot more money despite the fact that they made it work. Like they barely made it work. And yeah, I just think the second, the second movie really stepped it up. But and again, that's a whole other discussion. I'm just You're... surrounded by incorrect opinions. Man. My goodness. You... What else has changed <laughs> for you on this show? You thought the world's been against you for two years. <laughs> the whole world's against me. That's right. Down in the gutter. No matter what guest I bring, Ghost <laughs> Marty's against you. He haunts you. Yeah, oh man. Everyone. Boy, that guy haunts me. All right, I will qu- quick banter. We'll move into the video game for segment. My mind's just about um, uh, Kickstarter. So back in, in mid-September... There are some tweets for, from some Kickstarter employees saying that they got fired because they were organizing a union for Kickstarter. Oh. Uh, of course, Kickstarter comes and say, no, they, they, of course, this we're aware that this looks poor during the current timing. As you know, there's been talks of unionization, I think, since like March of this year. But no, the, these these people, the employees, they were let go for performance issues. And uh, Taylor Moore, one of one of the, the two outs very outspoken uh, fired employees. He's um, stated that Kickstarter, quote, offered me no real reasons, but one month's severance for signing an NDA, I will not be signing it, end quote. (laughs) The the other outspoken employee, Clarissa Redwine, uh, tweeted sentiments to the same effect, basically. She adds that, quote, I find this strange because I not only met but exceeded all performance metrics in Q2. I was great at my job and I loved it, end quote. So that's kind of bad. That's bad stuff. And obviously it's been about a month of kind of the story progressing really as it's been spotlighted. At the end of September, both of those employees, Taylor and Clarissa, they they filed a federal complaint against Kickstarter with the, uh, the NLRB, which is the National Labor Review Board. Of course, Kickstarter CEO... Uh, Aziz Hassan, you know, he sent out a couple different emails, I think, since, you know, end of September, but basically sent these emails to to all of their their staff kind of addressing the unionization and saying that, you know, the union framework is inherently adversarial. That dynamic doesn't reflect who we are as a company, how we interact, how we make decisions or where we need to go. So there he's very clearly against the unionization. And has publicly, like, gone out, almost feels like he's gone out of his way to publicly state, like, on at least two separate occasions that uh, should the employees, uh, you know, approach, do, like, the, the official, like, request of Kickstarter recognizing their attempts to unionize, that their request would, would be denied. That Kickstarter would not recognize uh, any of their wants or needs. And uh, but of course, come October, just on October 7th, the official request was made and as <laughs> as stated by Aziz, uh, denied by Kickstarter. That, that's interesting because I'm not some expert in labor law or anything like that. But I, I don't think at least up here in Canada, you know, 
I think maybe we have more protection for unionization. I think we so. can't go like, hey, I want to unionize, and the <laughs> workplace is like, no. Like, well, so so it's not quite it's not quite like them just saying no, and they're not now they can't unionize. It's it's more that if Kickstarter would recognize their want to unionize, they wouldn't have to go through this this process, which they mm-hmm. now have to go through, which is uh, an NLRB election, which is apparently a very rigorous process and. By some accounts and studies, this process is notoriously skewed in favor of the employer over the employee. Mm-hmm. And it's it's I kind of looked into it. It's it's really seems like it's drawn out. Like first, you each and every employee has to like uh, fill out like this um, like request form saying that they're they're for it, and then you know they take a vote like the the over or below fifty percent or something, and then there's like a waiting period that apparently employers could potentially have a lot of sway over and like delaying. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's kind of bad news. So there's like, kind of like a, a Kickstarter boycott going on right now. And a lot of people are wary of, uh, of, of using Kickstarter, which is really shitty for the creators that rely on Kickstarter to get some of these projects funded. And a lot of people make a living off of Kickstarter that aren't employees of Kickstarter. A lot of people doing Kickstarter previews for, for, I mean, of course I'm speaking mostly from my knowledge of the board game industry and uh, just doing like Kickstarter previews of board games. I, I don't know. It's just really, it's really bad. It's super bad. And of course there are other crowdfunding platforms like alternatives. And a few, I saw a project today. It was actually a video game. It was a video game implementation of Spirit Island. And, they're using Indiegogo because of all this controversy with Kickstarter. And of course, in their campaign, they state, you know, us using Indiegogo is not is not a support of the Kickstarter boycott. But because of all what's going on, this is why we're using Indiegogo and blah, blah, blah. But like when you think of crowdfunding, you think Kickstarter, right? I mean, yeah. that's why Kickstarter is as popular and, and makes as much money as they do. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, I've virtually boycotted Kickstarter since the Evil Dead 2 board game fiasco, even though that's turned around. Yeah, like, that's pretty good news, got... too. I filled out my backer survey, I and did I too. didn't have to pay shipping. I didn't have to pay shipping. I was going to bring yeah! that up with you outside of the show. Yeah. I was amazed by that. I was ready to pay it. I would have paid it. I was just out of... I didn't want to pay more, but out of principle, I'm like, I'm getting this fucking yeah. game. I am getting this game. You will not deny me this game. <laughs> so, Mike, I don't know if you're familiar... You're probably unfamiliar with it, but we covered it on the show previously. There was this Kickstarter for an Evil Dead 2 official board game. Um, they had, you know, they had a full license. Uh, Space Goat Productions was this this company, led by a crook, a fucking crook yes. of a president, Sean Burry, and basically he ran away with everybody's money, um, or squandered, or or piddled away in in garbage and bullshit production costs. And this other company, uh, Jasco Games, they picked up the rights for it. And are now honoring all of those previous people's pledges, and will be getting them a copy of the game. And they said they said that all that all of those previous pledgers had to do was pay shipping, and then they will get this copy of a game. And it, it won't be the same game. It's been it's been redesigned, and I think it has a different rule set, uh, so it will play differently than you may be expecting. But you will at least have something. Which is, oh, which that's is, good. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, no, I, I, I unfortunately I've heard way too many stories about you know kickstarter sure. and like somebody yeah. just fucking pocking the money and piecing out like yep. that that really sucks and the problem is is like i guess i don't know like I, I don't know how that system works very well but i mean how do you how do you hold someone accountable for that how do you 
stop someone from doing that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, basically, I think it boils down to uh, reputation after the fact, honestly. Um, like, Christ knows what, where Shambury is. He's like on some fucking island. Like, he's got to be on some island somewhere. He literally stole hundreds of he, thousands. He stole of the money. <laughs> so I don't know what, I guess there, there really is no recourse. And that is, that's what a lot of people forget about Kickstarter. Kickstarter is not a pre-order system. You are not guaranteed to get what you are funding or what you are pledging. There is zero guarantee you will get what you are putting your money up for. And a lot of people forget that. And a lot of creators take advantage of the fact that a lot of people willing to put up money ahead of time just don't realize that or don't pay attention to that or are unaware of that. I don't know what kind of consumer could fully be unaware of that if they're using Kickstarter, but they're out there. I disagree with you. Hashtag Star Citizen. Oh, fuck. Well, you said yourself. That is yet to be seen. I'm being very sarcastic. TBD if that is a statement. I'm being very sarcastic with you. I That was $550 well spent. (laughs) Wait, Star Star Citizen, is that the video game or? Yeah, it's the most massively funded Kickstarter anything ever. They still... Somehow they still print money today. They're long gone off Kickstarter. People just find them. They they make no less than $4 million a month right now still. The game hasn't been <laughs> released. But they just, they sell like giant ships that you can crew with like 40 friends that cost $10,000 US and people <laughs> buy them. That's crazy. They sell out of That's them. That's so crazy. And My God. And yeah, they they have a ticker on their website, including Kickstarter. They made like two hundred and fifty one million dollars before the game's Holy been released. Fuck, man, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, crazy, crazy. Now, I mean, I I don't want to get too much into that, but they do. They have been progressively releasing more, more, more. It's clear that they're actually spending the money on the game. It's just the feature creep. The game got so gigantic what they promised. I mean, real size, procedurally generated planets and a whole galaxy's yeah. worth. Yeah, it sounds like No Man's Sky. It is, it's, but even bigger. Sounds like what was promised with No Man's Sky, and then later yeah. kind of delivered. <laughs> well, I mean, it's th- they get the money by selling ships. Yeah, of course. And there's literally, but it is a Ponzi scheme. There's literally <laughs> every kind of ship that's ever that you could ever want. There is no such ship that does not exist. <laughs> there's ships to deliver letters. Really? There's three types of ambulances. Three! <laughs> Intergalactic ambulances. That's amazing. Oh, so All right, let's fucking we gotta move go. on. We gotta let's go. move on to the video game variety show where we're kind of, we're talking about Call of Duty. I, I want you to say the name of this segment. It's Call, Call of Duty Modern Horseshit. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm proud of that. So, <laughs> so Call of Duty Modern Warfare is coming out soon mm-hmm. or is it already out uh it's very soon mike this whole segment was inspired by our talk on the phone um because i really want to let you loose here on a rant about it so why don't you get into call of duty modern horseshit or warfare call it what you want and some of the stuff we got into on the calls like in regards to different versions and insane pricing and stuff like that yeah, so just a little bit of backstory with my uh, with my relationship with Call of Duty. Um, I like I'm not like a diehard fan. I didn't get into Call of Duty until Modern Warfare came out. Um, but I the like, first Modern Warfare. 
Yes, exactly. So Call of Duty Call, Call 4. Call of Duty 4 yes. Modern Warfare. <laughs> Not the, the reboot, which is, called, mon- which is called Call of Duty Modern Warfare. These fuckers yeah. don't know. They run out of names? Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That is, like, common franchise. Like, fucking, like, the new Predator that came out is just called The Predator. Yeah. Yeah. It's so people get confused and buy something they don't mean to buy. It literally <laughs> is another fucking scam on top of scams with these people. Oh my god. Anyway, so yeah, like I, I, I have, uh, but I have like total nostalgia for that game. Like I used to play, um, I don't, I don't, unfortunately I don't game as much with my buddies anymore, but back then this was like, you know, I think it was like grade eight at the time. And, uh, like wait, this is way back before we all had cell phones. So it would be like, all right, boys, fucking 430, we're meeting on Call of Duty. Um, you know, this is the time. And, uh, yeah, and I have so many great memories of that game. And, you know, I, and unfortunately that was sort of like the beginning of the end of Call of Duty because that game was so successful that they started pumping them out every year. Yeah. And like, I think Black Ops was the last one I owned. And after that is sort of when I started to fall off. Um, but anyways, so this new Call of Duty come out and, uh, it's, you know, they're bringing back the Modern Warfare series. And I'm already a little bit skeptical because I'm like, you, you fuckers are just going to try to play into my nostalgia and try to get me back by bringing the Modern Warfare series back. But anyways, I was I was uh, skeptical, but I was like, you know, I was willing to give a shot. Anyways, the beta comes out. And like, honestly, I, w- I will defend the game uh, itself and say that this was probably the first Call of Duty that I played where I was like, wow, they actually – this isn't just some reskin bullshit. This is like I – think, I think as of late – Call of Duty, they just, it's sort of lost its identity almost. It's not the same franchise as it used to be. And I think, um, I heard, I watched a really good video on this. It was at around the time of Modern Warfare 2 came out. All the other games before that, you were just sort of a, a soldier on the battlefield. The, the game was all about taking power away from the player. But as soon as Modern Warfare came out, that was the biggest game at the time. And they went basically full Bayhem with it. They started introducing, um, you know, dual wielding, and you're playing as this fucking like super soldier. And ever, and you know, they start pumping out these ads with celebrities and fucking Mountain Dew tie-ins and everything. And sort of the the game just got so big after that. And I, I think it sort of lost what it what made it good. And, and this was the first Call of Duty where I was like, okay, they went back to basics. They took the fundamentals and just really refined them. And the game was uh, was much slower paced. And uh, honestly, it just played really well. And I was like, man, I, you know what? This is a Call of Duty game that I think I actually might buy. They've, they've actually won me back. And I was like, I might actually pick this up. And I my issues with, you know, Activision, which we'll get into. But yeah, fully on board. Anyways, I went from being like fully like ready to buy this game and pre-order it in the span of the day to completely like, fuck this game. I'm not fucking buying it anymore. <laughs> and it was uh, all because... A couple things. So I see the story on Reddit that, for one, microtransactions, and uh, you know, we all probably agree that microtransactions microtransactions suck ass. I mean, they're fine and free to play games. That's fine. You know, you're getting the game for free, but a game that you're spending sixty dollars for, like, okay, little lame DLC skins or whatever. But if if you're literally taking parts of the game and hiding it behind a paywall, like, you can go fuck yourself, as far as I'm concerned. And so that was the first thing that pissed me off is that not only were they adding microtransactions in the game, but they were putting weapons in them. They were taking like, yeah. like, at, like important shit. It wasn't yeah. just some bullshit like skin or emote, um, emote for my soldier that I, like, I, I could, like, I, it would still piss me off, but like, whatever. I can kind of like 
put that aside. Well, because that's the shit that you can use as a player. You can easily ignore. And exactly. Because it's not necess- It's not a necessity to playing the game. But as soon as they allow you to buy- purchase higher tiered weapons and use them in multiplayer games, that's that's where the it just goes out the window. It it just it makes no sense. Yeah, you're introducing this sort of play-to-win system, especially if the, get, the guns they're hiding are better guns than the ones included in the base game. And then not to mention, they, uh, they, now ha- they also have a deal with Sony that they have this survival mode in their spec ops thing, which is sort of like the equivalent to like, you know, the classic Horde or Firefight yeah. mode, that wave-based game that you've seen. Um, and it's exclusive to, the, to Sony for an entire year. And, and not only that, Anybody else, like PC, Xbox users, you're still paying the same price. You're getting one less feature. And and if it wasn't for the fact that these Call of Duty games release every fucking year. I know, that's the fucking funniest part. Like, that's the how part. much that's... money did Sony dish out for that? And that's the, yeah, and that's the ridiculous thing. Because, like, by the time you get that feature, the next Call of Duty yeah. game will already be out. The next Modern Warfare 2 will be out. Like, fuck. Yeah, and, like, it's just, like... It was so crazy that I went from like being like so on board. I was like, "Wow, Activision, you somehow turned it around and got me back." And they just like pull this fucking bullshit. Like me and my buddy were talking about um, EA and Activision, and I was like, "What is it that EA gets such a bad rap, and Activision does get a bad rap, but it doesn't seem to be like as notorious?" Like the, the, you hear all the stories about EA getting voted worst company of the year. Like I would say Activision is a hundred times worse. <laughs> and what we came up with. Is that EA at least like they'll they, you know they'll do something shitty and then they'll come out like at an E um, E3 press conference and be like oh guys we're getting rid of like season passes to kind of win you back and forth on board but Activision will do something shitty and they'll just be like well fuck you you're gonna buy it anyways you're gonna buy the new Call of Duty so like why why the fuck do we care and maybe it's just because they own that but like I mean we've seen we've seen them be shitty multiple times like Destiny has now Bungie has now gone independent yeah yeah. Um, I picked up Destiny 2 on free on Steam, by the way, which is great. Uh, we all know that the original makers of the Modern Warfare series, uh, who now own Respawn, went over to EA. And um, I read another story the other day that the team making the um, – that made, you know, Advanced Warfare and uh, what was it, the, uh, the World War II one, uh, they have been removed from the Call of Duty schedule now. And so now, act, so um, Black Ops, uh, the Black Ops team, Treyarch, they wanted to support the game for a few years, and now they've sort of been rushed in to fill in that two-year gap now. So instead of getting a three-year development cycle, they're only getting two. And so I guess what had happened was like uh, the Sledgehammer and Raven were making a, a Vietnam War game, and then those two companies apparently didn't work well together, and now Activision is sort of taking over, and now it's going to be Black Ops, whatever the fuck we're on now, five will be a vietnam game and it's just like and that's the thing is like one of the things that um the problem is is that these games are well i I mean i wouldn't say they're all well made but at least modern warfare i I would say that this is like i i would say it's a great game like it's really well made from what i played i only paid the played the beta so i i can't speak for the entire thing but it's just like it's activision just and i can't even say shooting themselves in the foot because i know so many people that are going to buy it and it's not going to hurt them but it's just like, and so many people are going to be pissed off, and but I just don't think it's going to matter. Like, nope, if I, I'm not going to buy the game, but who cares? You hit the nail on the head there, Mike. The problem is, and that's why I was nodding, is that they will still buy it. 
if the player base somehow, for the lack of a better term, unionized and was like, no, we're not going to buy this shit. I paid $80 for my PC version or Xbox version. I'm not going to, you know, accept that I don't get survival mode till the game's obsolete. I'm not going to accept that there's microtransactions to give great weapons so that it's pay to win. I'm not going to buy the game. And you're not going to buy the game, but unless it's a huge aggregate, then there's going to be no problem, unfortunately, for the company. Yeah, but I don't know, man. People, people, what didn't the last Call of Duty have zero single player experience? It was strictly a multiplayer game. Yeah, no single player. Like, what? <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I understand. I, I mean, I, I know the draw of Call of Duty is the, the online multiplayer, but like, I haven't given a fuck about Call of Duty since legitimately Call of Duty 2. <laughs> like, now those were where, where my memories go back to. Oh, Call of Duty 2 was so fun. And of course, like Ghost Marty and I, we played that so much. And we played it when it was basically a dead game. Nobody was online. And every match you got in, you scrounged for eight players. And it was always the same eight people you're playing with. Because no one else is there to be matchmaked with. Like, <laughs> So, I played I played the original Modern Warfare as well, uh, and I the last one I played actually was Modern Warfare Two, which I did play quite a bit on- online, and I I actually really enjoyed. But like, I don't give a fuck about this franchise. But what I do give a fuck about is that because the fr- because the the franchise and the company behind it are so successful that they set trends for the industry. Yes, and the yes. the rest of the industry copies it. That's what I care about. I mean, Call of Duty as a franchise could go fucking in the toilet for all I, I care. But, like, it's just the impact and the ripples that it creates. When that turd splashes in that bowl, it just fucks everything up. Yeah, I mean, we... Uh, um, anyways, you guys remember the whole um, uh, EA Star Wars Battlefront situation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought once, like, you know, the Hawaii, Hawaii government got involved, I thought maybe that would be the last we've seen of microtransactions because... Um, I mean, in loot boxes, but like it, it's just it. I, I can't even say it blows my mind because yeah, like the Call of Duty franchise is still successful, and you guys are totally like right in the fact that like it's not really about the game. And look, like, because I'm I'm more than happy to to skip out on Call of Duty. I haven't played in years, and you know it doesn't make up you know much of a difference to me to not buy the game. But but you're right. It's it's sort of this like yeah, it sets this trend that that uh, these publishers think they can get away with it and people will still buy the game and it's just it's like it's just crazy to me that like the you know i I remember just like the simple thing of buying a 60 dollar game and being able to play it and have everything all the features and everything in the box when you got it yeah yeah that's going away i mean It's a little bit of a tangent, but I'm one of those guys that wants a physical game. You know, I'm I'm a Nintendo fanboy, but when I want a game for my Switch, I don't download it. I get the, the physical chip, but you get nothing else anymore. You literally just get a chip in a plastic thing. You don't get any inserts. You don't get manuals. I used to love manuals. I oh, yeah, manuals. or the Grand Theft Auto games with the maps. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I, those would be up on my wall the second the shrink came off of those video games. And they were helpful too, because they like, yeah, were, yes. actually, especially because like the new, um, you know, Grand Theft Auto games, they had, um, you know, they, they have actual waypoints and GPS systems in it, but like Vice City and San Andreas, they did not like, you would like have to refer to that map. 
Yeah, you would. Yeah. You 100% would. We're losing value in our gaming. We're, that's probably the best way of saying it. We're, we're spending this money and we're not getting as much as we used to. And the problem is, is as consumers, as gamers, we're not putting up a fight against this. It's, you know, you want to bitch about it once or twice on Reddit, but you've still bought the game and you're buying some of the DLC. Like, I'm sorry, that's not going to change anything. Well, the same thing with like Borderlands 3, with the Epic Game Store exclusivity. So many people are like, this is bullshit. I'm not buying this fucking game. And lo and behold, release date comes out. All those fucking people went on buying oh, it. It's my money. It sold millions of copies on the Epic Game Store for Borderlands 3 and people played it. I remember hearing way back when uh, Modern Warfare 2 came out that I think there was like a, like a bunch of people on Steam that boycotted the game for not having, um, was it dedicated servers? And then the <laughs> game came out and then everybody like obviously could see their profiles and every single one of them were playing it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know yeah. what? People, people. It wasn't the people complaining about Modern Warfare now that it, all this stuff and it was too realistic and that they need to tone down. Like, oh, it was. Um, someone wrote an article about the white. Oh, phosphorus. I did. Yeah, I had yeah, the yeah, white IGN. phosphorus yeah. in my notes. People can't. People don't. Aren't. Will never be happy. Like, fuck me. I'm like, okay, if you wanted a realistic depiction of white phosphorus, which I actually looked up after doing my research for this. You'd have a rated A for adult game. Like, that is disgusting stuff when it hits your body. And so, you know, to have a simulation of it and then have that critiqued to the degree that I saw, I was just rolling my eyes. Rainbow Six games have had white phosphorus for grenades for, like, literally 15 years. Like, what the fuck is the big deal? Fucking 2019, man. Like, legitimately... Ah, it's it's frustrating. Yeah. It's frustrating. We didn't get into it, but yeah, like I've 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 been like it's, it's like the whole Joker controversy, like yeah. right, like everything coming out with them, like saying that the movie's like irresponsible um, for even existing almost, and it's just it's insane to me. Like you know, like we've like you know we will continue to have violence in uh, video games and you know in our media that we consume, and that will never change. You know, and like it's it's just yeah, it's I mean of course it's up to the individual to fucking like how they want to respond and like honestly like if you're if if a movie or a video game is like you know enough to trigger someone then like really like you know they're probably fucking that to the first place like i i don't i, I yeah like well and, I don't and, think it's the and also that. i think um, those people also know the type of media that they need to stay away for their own mental health and i don't think by any means is the white phosphorus use in Call of Duty Modern Warfare being pressed and forced on people that do have a major concern or are majorly affected by it. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see the conflict. But like, like you said, we'll always have this violence in there. But the flip side of that is there will always be people that have a problem with it and that are outraged by it. So that's never going to change. I mean, honestly, I, at this point, like, it's now it's not surprising anymore right like it just isn't surprising you just have to inevitably wait for the other shoe to drop and someone to have a problem with something that depicts some type of anything okay right just just a note here (laughs) a slight tangent um on because you mentioned trigger warnings i actually read an article the other day and it, it mentioned the joker and and uh 
Joaquin Phoenix's weight loss. But it had a trigger warning saying that the article was about successful recreational body type modification. And it was like a trigger warning, basically weight loss. A trigger warning for fat people that it was an article about weight loss. My God. And and I was just like, really, have we come to this point (laughs) as a society that we need a trigger warning for people that have lost weight? And yeah, I it's like crazy. Did it show pictures of Phoenix like from the film? Like they they did, yes. And they also talked. They also talked about uh, Bale, Christian Bale, and the Machinist. They show pictures. They did show skeletal pictures. Okay, I I mean, I can understand how those pictures themselves could be upsetting to somebody that maybe struggled with some type of anorexic like eating disorder. I understand that, but like. Yeah, but okay, but this is where I get down to. Like, I like at what point? Like, ah, how do I say this? Like, you can't like you can't always uh, appease like the lowest common denominator. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, there there will always be somebody that will be um, that that could probably probably pick apart anything that you say. I mean, maybe maybe not everything, but just at a certain point, it's like okay, but like you know, it's almost like a fool's errand to you know to really just try to not offend anybody. Because in some ways, you maybe you, I don't know, maybe like, yeah. At what point do you kind of just say like, all right, like, I don't know, what fucking is like, is it, is it even worth it? Because that's that's the problem that we run into is that you know you just get people saying, well, it's not even worth it to like to make this thing because of the potential backlash that it could have. Well, I'll I'll try to spin this in a positive direction because this kind of is on topic for the remaining two points I had, which is apparently the new modern warfare. Um, you make ethical decisions, and sometimes you're not sure what a decision will lead to. So there's going to be a case in the game where you think someone might be going to pull a grenade. You can shoot them or let them do what they're doing, but they're actually just pulling like their baby out of a sack. Okay. And if you kill them, then the baby like falls out of their hands onto right. the ground. And then becomes the Joker because it suffered a head injury. <laughs> and now it's a, a really weird laugh. That's right. Modern Warfare directed Todd Phillips, <laughs> Joker producer, creative director. <laughs> and another one, apparently there's a mission where you are a child soldier. Really? But, yes. Wow. But, okay, so here's my argument against these trigger warnings for this kind of stuff for people getting upset. I would agree it's uncomfortable. It'd be uncomfortable for me in a game if, if I didn't know and I shot someone who I thought was bringing out a grenade and a baby fell out. I'd be like, holy shit. Yeah. But talk about it. Bring up the questions. Spin it in a positive way. Think about it. Like the fact that you were so trigger happy in the game. And, you know, does that say anything about yourself? Does it say anything about your game? Like, use it as an opportunity for critical thought instead of saying, this shouldn't have that. Sure. Like, you mean like the naysayers, like, use that as a talking point as opposed to just As opposed to trying to cancel it, eliminate that kind of content. Never have Stuff a discussion. Plan to this yeah, and that's the problem. Stuff. Is that the, this this like even um, like sometimes even just kind of bringing up a topic. Yeah, is is just immediately shut down because yeah, it's like it's like we can't have that like a reasonable discussion. Like I, you know, it's it'd be nice if like <laughs> to to just say okay, but like why you know why is that a problem without just being like you know, but it, it just is. It's just like you know, let's leave it at that. Because Mike, you hate you hate them. You hate babies and you hate child soldiers. And you hate white phosphorus. <laughs> you love grenades. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of what it is. And the problem is, is like, look, 
art has to be offensive at times. It has to be thought-provoking. That's what art is. And I know we're having this issue with all types of art in modern society, but if we want video games to continue, I would say continue the trajectory to to aspire to be art, then it's going to be offensive sometimes. And, okay, Call of Duty is probably not a good example you know, example. I was just kind of going to say... But bigger picture, bigger picture. All right, fine. Bigger picture. But like Mike referenced the common denominator, like you can't always the the bigger picture is the bigger picture for a reason. Like it's like the bigger picture up in the sky that people are oblivious to a lot of the time. And a lot of people don't care about the bigger picture. Well, and I guess my argument is pretty simple. It's they should care. If you want to be a (laughs) well-rounded, critically thinking human, you should care about the bigger picture. Yeah, I suppose getting getting lost in the details is really you can't see the forest for the trees, right? Yeah, I, I think I think just like I think the overall um, like the the thing is it's like it's it's like a stand up routine um, in the sense that which is it's a weird comparison, but bear with me here. Like we we run into a problem where uh, people will post like a segment of a of a of a stand up routine, and so um, there's a great like a uh, Jim Jeffries bit. Where uh, he starts off saying like I don't think that women should ha- should have yes, e- uh, the equal rights that men do, and it's uh and, and like you know if you were just to you know take that segment on its own, which is which happens a lot of the time, you know it it could piss off a lot of people, but it, it but as the the bit progresses, the whole the whole gag is that like that you know he was talking about how you know his wife wants his uh his kid uh to, to buy him a birthday present she says like you know like oh what's little jimmy gonna buy you for a, uh, for a present and he's like well probably fucking nothing because he's two years old and then she's like no no like 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 what, what do you want him to want him to get you he's like i just don't want you to touch my fucking money use my money to buy the buy my my kid a present and it's just like and it's it's this sort of like long like nuanced bit that's pretty like um, that that it, it's just it's sort of it's very tongue in cheek. He doesn't actually believe that you know women don't deserve the as many you know the equal rights that men or sorry that men do or whatever it is. But the point being is that like sometimes like we like when you talk about like the child soldier thing, you know immediately people are like child soldiers in a video game. You know, let's but this discussion stops there. Instead of maybe like you know seeing for what the you know maybe the game is trying to do because you might find that like there's a lot more of a nuanced approach to it and maybe it's not just for shock and sometimes it is but sometimes like there is you know there's a little bit more to it than immediately kind of writing it off i guess yeah yeah i, I agree i mean i mean like mgs5 phantom pain has child soldiers in it and they purposely went out of the way like you weren't killing them but they were your adversary in it um like snake basically you know shooting them with rubber bullets and trank darts and stuff ties them to a balloon tie them to balloons and air airborne on air, air balloon and right the fuck out of there uh, actually i don't think you actually could do that to the kids you had to what you had to do is you had to find a hill and a truck and you parked a truck at the bottom of the hill pick the kids up and throw them into the back of the truck then air balloon the truck and then you get the <laughs> so that's what you had to do so if Call of Duty, you can get a truck and you can back it up to a hill and throw those child soldiers into the back of the truck, then hey, I, I think it's fine. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just laughed at that. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's awesome. I did not hear about the child soldier thing. I'm interested. Uh, I would actually be interested in playing that, and not that I, you know, 
I don't, I never thought to myself, boy, I wish I could play as a child soldier, but like, I'm interested in seeing what they did with it. And well, that's the thing, right? Like you can, like, I think it's fair to be, um, you know, critical in the sense of being like, you know, maybe having a child soldier in, in a video game is, is a, you know, not a good idea, but like, at least give the, give the, uh, give whatever the work is, especially in this case, like, you know, Call of Duty with, with this whole premise, like at least give them uh a chat like at least play maybe not play it or at least see it for what it is before like you know child soldier end discussion like you know yeah. there might be a, like a very there might be something more to that the game might be saying something for all we know but it's call of duty so who fucking knows but do do what leland and i do don't play it watch someone else play it on youtube well but you know like but all of this this new like character centric aspects of this new cod is like half of the marketing scene for it so it makes sense that it has all of these these controversial for lack of a better term topics and and segments and sections and i don't know does call of duty ever do they do these modern warfare games like do they try to tout the realism of them at all mike do you do you know like i don't really know if i've heard that uh, they do the campaign. Like I, I think like especially with the modern warfare series, I think they they, I think they do. Like I, I think there there has been some Call of Duty games where like they really are about seeing the horrors of war. Right. And um, I, I mean, like I said, I think like sometimes you know some of that nuance is a little bit lost because of the recent they've kind of gone a little bit like you know full Bayhem as it were. Um, but like you know. I, I, I know I know for the new Modern Warfare specifically, the whole the, – the aim is realism for this one. Okay. And I know if you want – yeah, if you play World at War, that it was it was sort of the same thing. It was trying to kind of give you a an idea of what World War II would be like. And even that game had some um, – you know, it was controversial when it came out too for the same reasons. Um, didn't they also – I don't know if you guys know this, but didn't they, they remove swastikas from the newest World War II uh, Call of Duty game? Do you guys hear about that? <sighs> I didn't hear about that, but that would not be a surprise. I played, yeah, yeah. I played again, lots of like other a, World yeah. War Two games recently, and they usually do scrub the swastika out. Really? Um, that just is like revisionist history. That's what I mean, right? Yeah, like, I don't like it. Censorship, listener, <laughs> fight back against it. And people who are pissed off over this modern war sh- warfare horseshit don't buy the game. And if you buy this game, the joke becomes on us to on you. That's my opinion. <laughs> we become the joker. You are the joker. Vote with your wallet. Yeah. That is literally all the consumer can do, right? Like, that's the only power the consumer has. And it, it is very powerful, though. The, the strongest negotiating tactic is walking away, which is what this would be. And it would right. change attitudes very quickly. You hear that, Sony? Walk away. Walk away, Sony. Walk away. Um, well, I mean, any final points or yeah. should we move on to movie musings? I got nothing else. Like I said, I mean, it's just like bad stuff all around. But it's the same bad stuff that's been happening for like the last like decade as far as the progression of loot boxes. And I don't think those are ever going to change. They're certainly not going to change in the next decade. I mean, like they've already basically the the civil action is to outlaw them in like the EU has basically been all but shut down, you know, because they don't. They don't fit the legal definition of gambling, so therefore they're fine to to put into these games. And what, I, what is, is it EA now that just has this little 
like extra sticker they put on their games that says something like you know microtransactions inside like it's some stupid like little sticker that they have to put on these boxes now or something i'm not i'm not too sure what exactly or if that is some type of regulation but i, I believe they have something like that now on their games yeah it just yeah it's just comes down to video games being uh video game publishers being shitty this is nothing new especially when it comes to activision it's like who i mean we we kind of all saw this coming so yeah. well i mean when we when we're talking about also when we're talking about games uh like call of duty when they're they're like they're rated t games right i think they're m aren't they no i don't know that's that's well even so that f- further plays into my point i'm making here that even if like the esrb for instance were to do something themselves about regulating what can and can't go into a specific rating like the t and m like they don't have to worry about it it's really only we've seen the the e games which kind of really just plays into the sports games but there's the you know the new nba game has like a a uh, simulated gambling it's got this little spinner wheel and no you don't put any of your own money into it but the the fact that it is rated e which simulated gambling is something that falls under a T rating. And of course, that's a whole nother topic about a lot of shady shit with like the president of the ESA uh, also being like a CEO of 2K Games, which, you know, owns Rockstar and does these does the NBA game and all this fucking shit that the ESRB is not enforcing the rules that they're supposed to be enforcing. And that's a fucking other episode we should maybe do, but. It's all, but it's all part of the same fucking problem, right? And it's not going away anytime soon. That was a good ethical slash moral discussion. That was right. Turned out being, I I rather enjoyed that. So let's uh, move into our final segment today: movie musings. And this one is, I called it swear trek, because I am just super intrigued with the possibility of Quentin Tarantino's tenth and final film being. A Star Trek film and I wanted to just bring up what the hell is going on and if this happens what do we expect to see and how will it affect you know one of the biggest franchises and movies slash TV so in case listeners been living under a rock J.J. Abrams at some point, I don't know whether it was last year or 2017, it was probably 2017 around when it when it happened. He somehow met Quentin Tarantino who expressed interest in doing a Star Trek film. And they ended up having several discussions to the point that uh, J.J. is like on board and advocating for Tarantino to do it. They apparently have a script, like not just a first draft script, but like a script ready to go. And they met with the studio to go over this proposal of making it. Um, and I checked today, I looked it up to see, you know, okay, has it been canceled? Is there any new news? And it's basically been on the back burner since end of June. There's a couple articles on July basically saying what we're going to talk about, like what if it happens. But there is still the potential of Quentin Tarantino's 10th and final film, to be Star Trek film. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah, like what kind of implications does that have for the Star Trek fan, like as a franchise? Is it just like some weird one shot that like, 
because like yeah, I think it would be. I mean, the 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 recent trilogy was basically a failure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this this like revamped and like alternate timeline. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know what to think. I don't. I uh, yeah. I don't think it like excites me. I mean, yeah, I like Tarantino films, but like I'm not like a diehard Tarantino. F- fan i mean i don't rush out to see every tarantino film just because it's got his name on it but i don't know i know moby you you really like quentin tarantino movies right i do i really do and i don't know why i i haven't seen his newest film just yet yeah um i think because i had nobody to go with well uh cue (laughs) sad violins but i i mean of course i will see yeah i really like tarantino a lot um i like all of his major films i own them all what intrigues me about this one is that it's a property that I really like that I do feel has become stale. Now, a lot of people like Star Trek Discovery. To Star Trek's credit, I haven't seen it, but a lot of my friends warn me that it's probably not my thing, that it's very different. Um, but I still think the franchise needs to be shaken up a bit more, and I think that Tarantino very well could be the way to do it. I want to give Mike a chance to give some opening thoughts on this. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I think you've, first of all, I think if you're going to let Tarantino do his Star Trek movie, just let him do whatever he wants. <laughs> like, um, I, I, I don't, like, I, I mean, I, I, so I think what the one-off is a good idea. Um, so I'm not, like, a big Star Trek guy in any of the sense. Like, sad thing is, the only Star Trek movie I've seen is Into Darkness, which is, like, apparently one of the worst ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've had, I've had no desire to kind of go back and watch the newer movies. And even when, like, I think the, for the, they had announced for the fourth one that they were going to bring back Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth. And, and I'm not sure if that got like fans excited, but as a, as a non like, um, Star Trek fan, it, it wasn't enough to get me excited. And I think like, you know, I think Paramount, I'm sure wants to get, you know, get a lot more people and to see these movies. And I, I think Tarantino is the way to do it. Um, I've always been intrigued by a, a tour filmmaker stepping into the blockbuster world. Like um, I remember this is not happening anymore that uh, David Fincher was attached to direct uh, world war Z two, mm. And I honestly have not even seen the first one, but like when I heard that he was attached, I was just like, wow. I was like, I want to see that movie because I would love to see David Fincher work in that. So good in that studio system, even though he had such a bad experience on alien three, but like how, like I, I imagined that this time, you know, he wouldn't probably have to worry about that as much. Uh, and I think it's the same thing, you know, with, with Tarantino, I would just love to see him. Like he does a lot of original movies and I think that's great. Um, but I would love to see him take on a franchise. I just think that's, that's interesting to me. And I mean, I don't, the only thing is like, I don't know how you do it. Do you, do you, I mean, Tarantino's movies are rated R. Do you make it an R-rated, uh, you know, Star Trek movie? Does that kind of like, I don't know, does that stray away from what Star Trek is supposed to be? And and that's the thing is like, I've read a lot that he's a fan of this franchise and I don't think he intends to, to you know, bastardize it as, as some people might think he might do. Because like, I've talked to a lot of actual Star Trek fans and they're not, I, from what I've heard, they're not exactly on board with it. But as a, as a non-Star Trek fan, for me, I'm just like, just like make Reservoir Dogs in space, make Sam L. Jackson like a fucking like uh, Klingon, and then like get like Michael Madsen and like uh, you know all his mainstay actors. I'm pitching for uh, John Travolta as Captain Kirk. I was gonna I say think, 
I was going to say Captain Kurt, Kurt Russell. Oh, no, dude, he's... I was thinking, I was thinking because, because Travolta is like, to me, him and uh, Shatner are so like similar. Yeah. And the fact that they're just so goofy uh, and, they're, and they're just like, I don't know, like it's, it's very easy to make fun of uh, Travolta in the same way. Like it's really easy to make fun of uh, Shatner as well. And I, I feel like they're just cut from the same cloth. It's probably a bad idea, but I'm I'm gonna stick by that. I think. Uh, yeah. This is this is a serious proposal, but it's such a ridiculous concept. You can't help but laugh. In T- Tarantino's final film, you got to get Nick Cage in here, and I think you get him in as like a Vulcan, like science officer <laughs> spot. Hey, Captain, I got him on the main screen. <laughs> I got him on the screen. I got him on the screen. <laughs> yeah, when Nick Cage is paired with a good director, like you know, he's he could be really fun. Like I, I mean, I know he gets a lot of flack and does a lot of the fucking like straight to DVD VOD garbage nowadays. But like, I mean, he's still fun to watch. I think that I, I would still like. I would I would be thrilled if Nick Cage was was uh was in the new Star Trek. I you know what I agree with you is that if because. Tarantino really seems adamant that his next film is his final film. So you got to go balls out by getting all his best people into that film. I mean, well, yeah, like, I mean if it's you, be you a, get Uma Thurman in there. She's been sure. away for a while. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned Kurt Russell. I think he's got to be in there. Michael Madsen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He's got to be in there. And, and I mean, that's who you build the crew around. You can make a crew out of you know, 12 of Tarantino's mainstays and just go. I, what we're not saying here is a point I wanted to make, which is there was talk about this movie. Well, should Tarantino use the cast from the trilogy that just occurred? No. Oh, that would no. be stupid. That, what would be the point of that? Well, it's not even oh, a Tarantino yeah. film. Yeah, that's, nah, that doesn't make any sense. But, yeah, no, I, I think I think you, you, you again, you, you give him a clean slate. Let him do whatever the fuck he wants. Don't try to like, you know, because uh, then like, there, there's just going to be way too many hoops to jump through to to somehow explain how this fits like canonically. Just make it a one-off. Like like you said, like the the Star Trek universe has alternate timelines and alternate universes. Just fucking say it's an alternate timeline. Like, simple as that. Well, do they need to have all of your, your, your known character names? Oh, no. If it was my film, if I was helping Tarantino write the script, I would say, like, this is a new ship. Yeah, and new have your crew. own ship and crew and go off into this universe. Right. But you you do use the established mythos. So, like, Mike explained, you know, you have Samuel Jackson as a Klingon. I think that would be an amazing choice. That would be pretty good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got to have Samuel Jackson in it. That was, uh, I, I've seen um, uh, Once Upon a Time, and I was still sh- I was shocked that he, uh, no spoilers, but I was shocked that Samuel Jackson didn't somehow creep in that movie. Because he's been like, I don't know, I, I can't really think of a movie that he has. I mean, I guess he wasn't in the Kill Bill movies, but he's been in a lot of them for sure. It's like Michael Caine and Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah, but Samuel Jackson would not have fit in those Kill Bill movies. But, but No, but Samuel Jackson, I thought he cameoed as the piano player at the wedding in the Kill Bill movies. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. I thought he did. I could be wrong about that, but I'm 90% sure. I mean, somehow, yeah. like, really though, think about it, like, Michael Madsen should not fit in those kill that Kill Bill movie, but somehow he just does. Yeah, like, really, like you know, the aesthetic that Volume One gives you, and then moving into Volume Two, it's it's very different, but like it works though. What's your guys' favorite Tarantino film? 
I haven't seen all of them, but I have a Nats. Oh, that is such a good question. Um, I think it's probably Django and Chain uh, or uh, Django. What the fuck was that name it, of the yeah, movie? I yeah, think Django and Chain. 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 It, for me, it's between that and uh, Inglorious Bastards, and I okay. probably got to give the edge to Inglorious Bastards. Really interesting. Yeah, I just love Christoph. I love Christoph Waltz's performance, but I love how that also breaks down into vignettes where you get like one-off characters doing you know different things hmm. i really like brad pitt in that yeah film. yeah did you hear talks of a sequel to django unchained with quit tarantino i guess producing no i what? haven't yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> why yeah I, that that actually uh, surprises me that he would me even too. be willing to yeah let, let somebody else kind of you know yeah. run with his baby that's a little bit that's interesting. I, I mean, yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's that's a whole another thing. Like because like there's no choice that of director that would that would be worthy enough in my eyes to take over uh, a Tarantino movie that you I would agree. be disappointed in. Like there's plenty of capable directors, but like even if we got like say David Fincher, you'd be like, yeah, but that doesn't really that wouldn't make sense though. You know. Mm-hmm. I guess the closest would be like Robert Rodriguez because he tends to emulate like a lot of Tarantino's work, but. I mean, yeah. come on, Robert Rodriguez yeah. hasn't made a good movie in a while. I know. <laughs> Not since Planetaire. Yeah. Genius movie. Give it 12 Oscars. I love Planetaire to death. <laughs> I never laughed so hard that I thought I was going to injure my body as I did seeing Planetaire for the first time. It was just glorious. The existing fan base for Star Trek, if Tarantino gets his film, what happens? Do they care? Do they lose, like, most of the fans over 55? Like, what do you think happens? They revolt. Bunch we of, get a bunch bunch of, of middle-aged people city, revolt. Yeah. Just like Gotham. I think um, that's the thing. It's like a lot of, like, yeah, Star Trek fans I've talked about don't really seem too on board with it. Because, yeah, I guess they're worried. I, I mean, I think, like, the thing is that I, I uh, Tarantino is probably a lot more versatile than we give him credit for. Like I, I having watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I will say that's a different film than what he's made he's made before. There's a lot more like sentimentality compared to like some of his other stuff. Like I mean it still has like, you know, the Tarantino isms that you would think. But I, I think like I, I think he's a you know a big enough fan of the franchise that I don't like I, I don't think he could I, I don't. I don't think he's going to do anything crazy that would piss people off. Because why would he? Like I said, like he's he he has an affinity for the Star Trek fan, franchise. So whatever he would be doing, I would imagine would be coming from you know the place of being a fan and trying to make the best Star Trek he could be. Well, could and be. I think what appeals to him with this project is the fact that he hasn't done kind of like a big name licensed property before, like his. His films have been his original creations, and they've been great. But he hasn't done a licensed property, and he also hasn't done sci-fi. Like, when I look back in 10 years from now, whatever he ends up doing for his 10th film, where I'm going to be disappointed in Tarantino's career is I felt he didn't spread out amongst different genres enough. I mean, he he had two westerns, plus I... I kind of feel the Kill Bill, especially maybe Volume 2, kind of leans as a Western as well. It just has that feeling for me. And, you know, 
I don't know, Reservoir Dogs is just kind of like a char- gritty character drama. But I feel like, okay, so he only did 10 films, but he did not push genre enough. And I'll be disappointed if, like, he doesn't do... Okay, if he doesn't do Star Trek, then he's got to do some other kind of genre, like... Well, I mean, sci-fi would be great because it's so different, but maybe do a pure comedy of some sort, or or a romance. I don't know. Something different. I think what, what's so great about having someone like Tarantino come in is, like, I, um, is one of the things in I remember in Into Darkness is Simon Pegg's character says, is like, I forget, he says, we're not, you know, we're not, part, we're not military, we're explorers. But then those movies do, and especially from what I've seen from Discovery, is like, they've really tried to be like almost, yeah, tried to really ramp up the action in those movies. And I think with Tarantino, you can kind of bring it back to like something a little bit more character driven, a little bit more dialogue focused, and really hone into that whole explorer thing and make it interesting. Yes, and that's a good point there for this reason. It would be more of a character study, but it would still be different than what they're doing. Because a show I'm very excited and have followed is Picard, that's going to come out this next year. It has a few trailers. I've read up on it as much as I can. The thing about Picard is it's very much a return to the older Star Trek series. Like, it brings back a lot of former characters from the 90s um, that were both on on you know next generation but also like voyager seven of nine is a major character and i can tell that shaping up to be a very conservative classical star trek it it is going to be a character study because frankly at like 78 years old at the time of filming patrick stewart can't you know wear a tank top and dash in borg like he did in first contact (laughs) he's he's just too old and so you have to do a character study I, I guess, yeah, I, I'm just curious because, yeah, I, because uh, it is the creative team from Discovery, right? Like, it's not the, uh, the creative team from, like, what was it? Next Generation was the one that Picard was in? I, you know what, to be quite honest with you, I don't know who the creative team specifically is. I, I just can't comment. Yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm like, I'm just interested, um, just as an outsider, see how that series turns out because, yeah, I, I know there's a lot of hype, uh, behind it, but, like, you know, again, it's 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 what I would say about like the well, being skeptical um, about the Modern Warfare series is like, okay, how much is it them being like, okay, people like Picard, let's play onto their nostalgia and 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 just using that and being like, okay, people, if we put Picard in, people will watch it, as opposed to really honing into what you know made that series what it was. Um, anyway, so yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah, I I think that could be a danger of the series, like. I don't know, Mike, if you've watched the trailers, but Data is a big part of it, even though he's yep. dead. It, it appears like he lives in flashbacks and or dreams for Picard. Oh. But Why it, is he older? He looks older. He does How look older. He looks older. Well, he's a robot. They don't have the money to de-age him. I guess not. Is it going to be like the, the Terminator? Um, oh, yeah. His like organic the, the shell ages. <laughs> yeah, they have the flesh ages. Are you guys going to see that new one? Sorry, I don't want oh, to derail yeah. the conversation. Dark Fate okay. or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to see it. I'm, I'm a big fan of Sarah Connor and, you know, Linda Linda Hamilton, Hamilton yeah. and her performance. I love the evolution of her character. She looks good in the trailers. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I want to see it. But, you know, I, get, I guess this is what I fall back for is even if, um tarantino's star trek film were to alienate some of the conservative fan base 
You're going to bring in the Tarantino fans. The marketing will play up. Tarantino's final film is the final frontier or something. Like that. <laughs> and yeah. And you'll get a lot of, a lot of big actors will, will come out to play it for sure. Like I think you could sell it on the cast. I think even, even those uh, once upon a time in Hollywood trailers, I don't think they really, I, at least for me, I didn't think it really gave you an idea of, um, of what the movie was about, but like, kind of like you said, it was like Tarantino's nice film and here's all the actors that are in it. Like, yeah, so like, yeah, like I, I would agree with that for sure. What was he going to add to that? So, while I was driving today, I had to do a lot of driving, and I was thinking about tonight. And I was thinking, what Tarantino's, what Tarantino's Star Trek film would be is kind of like the freak show that rolls into town. It's like you kind of want to see it from a guilty thing, like just, even if you hate it, how is it going to turn out? And you may only ever see it once. That may only be like you want to see is one time but you kind of gotta see it <laughs> really i mean i i just don't know how you can't be intrigued by this idea and it breathes new life into the franchise i i get how the studio may think it's a gamble i think it's one you roll the dice on so. yeah i i think it's um it, it is like a radical it'd be a radical change for the franchise but i think that's what it needs because I, I I like I don't think you could get I think just doing another Chris Pine Star Trek I don't think anyone cares to watch that like what else do you do yeah you, you do something radical with it you get someone you know you get an auteur to come in and try to sort of shake things up and who better than Tarantino is like one of the best you know filmmakers of our generation so like you know I I, I say it's a win I, I'm agree with you I said I, I think Paramount would be stupid to not like really fucking push for this what? so how pissed would they be though <laughs> if they tell this is Tarantino's final film, and then in five years he makes he wants to make an eleventh one, I don't think anyone will care. <laughs> I think they'll just be like, oh, no. I guess, but like, I, I'd be slightly disappointed because right? I think it's a cool idea yeah. what he's doing. Like, what a fucking liar! Well, yeah, he's saying the idea is he wants to leave at the top of his game, and he wants to go down as a director who left something on the table. He likes the idea that people will always wonder what he could have done he's so fucking egotistical he's very egotistical because he knows he knows who he is all right yeah i guess he and the thing is he'll he'll pop up like he'll i'm sure he'll do like a live theater at some point which would be amazing he might go into tv he hasn't written that off i've heard that they might make a once upon a time in hollywood series somehow so i don't know that doesn't really excite me but i mean technically he you know, it would be completely like, you know, he wouldn't be a, a complete liar if he just went into t- t- TV after this. T- t- just tangent question here, Mike, um, because I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet. I liked uh, DiCaprio in his small part in Django. Does DiCaprio do well with a major role in a Tarantino film? Oh, yeah. Cap- DiCaprio brings it. Him and Brad Pitt are excellent in the movie, without question. Okay. Like. Um, and that's the thing is like, you know, you, uh, Tarantino knows how to, how to use his actors. Like it, I like, I still remember when uh, Jonah Hill popped up in like Django Unchained and then like, <laughs> yeah, like just how out of left field that was, but how great that performance was. Yeah, no, I know. I, I think, I think, uh, it's one of DiCaprio's best for sure. I, I really liked him in the, the movie. I don't want to say too much, but okay. I, you won't be disappointed. Great. 
Honestly, that's all the points I have on the topic. So I want to throw it back to you guys if you have additional questions or points. Uh, For me, it's just like, I don't really care. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll definitely see it with you. (laughs) But I I don't care. I have no particular ties to to Tarantino or Star Trek. Would would you pay for a D-Box seat to see? I would not see it in (laughs) D-Box, no. You want to see see a Tarantino film of people talking for two and a half hours in D-Box? Oh, if it massages you every time someone drops an F-bomb, that would feel great. It shakes every time someone says fuck. fuck, fuck. Oh, that feels so good. It it would be interesting, though, just like if the, the seats didn't even move, like... Oh, that would be but fucking, right when the fucking Last like ten minutes of the Tarantino movies, like where everyone's just fucking blowing their heads off the whole time. <laughs> yeah, shaking, like, seats are back. shaking, the yeah. bolts loose. You hear bolts falling on the ground. Oh, like, that fuck sakes. <laughs> oh, that'd be so much fun. Any uh, yeah. any points, Mike? Uh, kind of final concluding points on on the Tarantino Star Trek that you want to bring up. Yeah, no, I'm, I, uh, I'm, I'm gonna see it if it if it happens. And like I said, I, I'm very much into the idea just of, of, uh, yeah, seeing Tarantino take on a, fra- um, a franchise. It's, it's exactly what I said when they announced, uh, you know, Fincher was gonna be in World War Z. I was just like, great. Like, I don't care about this franchise, but the fact that you're getting like some auteur fi- filmmaker to come in and make a blockbuster like let's see it like you know it's like even if i was like you know fatigued with uh marvel movies which i am if you were to announce like i don't know like i'm just trying to think of like you know no one was going to come make another superhero movie like i would it'd instantly be intrigued by that so i yeah i cannot be cannot not be intrigued by by that concept so i'm into it for sure all right well we'll see how it unfolds uh i guess so uh so mike Thank you very much for joining us. That was that was great. Thank you for having me. It was yeah. a lot of fun, guys. Uh, so why don't you just remind us who you are and you know plug website. yourself again. Plug that bit. site. All right. My name is Mike Herman. Um, you can uh, find a lot of my photography and design work at www.apexcreativeco.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram on that name under Apex Creative Co., um, but you can also just uh, follow my personal Instagram too if you want. Uh, one listener, uh, Macintosh seventeen, M A C K E R T O S H. Uh, that was like an old nickname I had in high school, um, so I'm still rolling with that. But yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that by the end of this uh, podcast, I'll have maybe one new follower. That'd be great. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't. If you're gonna be. <laughs> You don't your keep such crossed. high expectations. You got your fingers crossed on that one. You'll be crossed for the rest of the No, 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 no. I think I think I think I appealed to our one follower today <laughs> um, a lot, and I think I think Mr. Riley, please, please follow him. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that you exist. Blink <laughs> twice. No, Mike. It, it was awesome having you. You did a fantastic job. Super right smooth and enjoyable. So. Why don't uh, actually Leland's got to do the end? Yeah, end of show stuff. Yeah. stuff. Uh, you can find our show notes, which will have all of Mike's uh, handles and the website ttpopcast.com. We have a variety of written content and you know links to some of our bonus episodes and blah blah blah. I'm on Twitter, Leland Steele. Uh, we're on Instagram, ttpopcast. I, that's it. That's it. Are you guys on iTunes? Yeah, yeah, you know, any of your uh, normal standard uh, podcast apps or iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, where, yeah, you can find us. Right on. We're there. All right, Mike, why don't you lead us on the the sign-offs? 
Mike Herbert signing off. Alright, I've been Moby. I'm Leland Steele. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.